Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome into the One Up Podcast. And this coming Sunday, May 24th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Golf Channel, the debut of Tiger Slam from Golf Films, a documentary on arguably the greatest stretch of golf uh, we have ever seen in the men's game. And I am very pleased to be joined now by the man who was the swing instructor during the teenage years and through the turn of the century and during this historic stretch for Tiger Woods. And that, of course, is Butch Harmon. Butch, great to see you. Great to be with you, Gary. Let's go forward to 2000. Prior to the U.S. Open week, he'd gotten off to a great start that year. What were the little things that you two were working on to make him as sharp as he could be, specifically going to pebble? He wasn't really comfortable with his putting. As you know, his dad had a big influence on him in his putting. He spent a bunch of time talking to his dad about putting. And to give you an insight, on Wednesday night, uh, even as it was falling dark, he was on the putting green, he and I doing putting, practicing his motion, practicing his stroke, going through his drills. And finally, he felt comfortable with what he had and said, OK, we're ready to go now. And boy, was he ever. He certainly was. When you win by 15, it doesn't appear that there was a critical moment. Was there, though, a moment during the course of that week that included a lot of starts and stops? Uh, it actually was the start of primetime golf on the East Coast because of all the delays. Is there a moment that stands out from that week for you? People forget that, yes, he won by 15, but on Saturday, on the little short third hole, he made a triple bogey seven. He hit his second shot in the high rough just short of the right bunker, and he hacked at it and hacked at it and hacked at it, ending up making a triple bogey on that hole, a hole that would be a, a driving a wedge hole and still won by 15. You know, Butch, what's interesting is that he only had the one start between that U.S. Open and the Open Championship at St. Andrews. So he's going to try to complete the career Grand Slam at that tender age. That week, there's a great YouTube video that's about 10 minutes long, and it's, it's put to symphony music. And it was like a symphony. What about that week? Uh, again, winning by a touchdown and a two-point conversion. What stood out about that week? You know, you think about St. Andrews and the the double greens and the way the course goes out and it hooks and comes back in, that it's pretty wide open driving course. You have to be very precise with your driver. And I mean, he was amazing. The control he had of his golf ball at St. Andrews was maybe the best I've ever seen him play. Okay, so Butch, from there, he goes to Valhalla. Again, just one start in between. Uh, the week included the first two rounds playing with Jack Nicklaus. There was obviously a great deal of, of symbolism there. Uh, what about Valhalla and what he and Bob May did, particularly on Sunday? What about that week stood out? Well, I think a couple things. Number one, he still had good control of his golf swing. Uh, he and Steve Williams worked phenomenal that week. There's a scenario, and I want to say I think it's on the 12th hole where he was getting ready to hit his second shot. Pin was tucked around to the right over the bunker. The wind was blowing. 
And he was over his shot, Gary, and he was just about ready to pull the trigger. And Stevie Williams said, hold on a minute, the wind just switched. And Tiger put the club back in the bag and looked at him and said, what do you think? He says, this isn't enough club. With this wind right here, you need to go to a different club. He took the other club out of the bag, knocked it to about six feet and made birdie. And I can remember doing the TV for Sky Sports saying that is a big moment in this competition because if he had hit that other club, it would have gone in that front bunker. The, the putty made on, on 18, look, the, the putty made in 2008 uh, on the 18th hole to force the playoff gets so much attention. But what are your thoughts about the putty made? Because I think a lot of people were shocked, me included, that Bob made made the putt he did preceding Tiger's putt to then force that playoff. The, the steely, you know what, to, to make that putt <laughs> in regulation, to force that playoff, uh, I thought about that. Gary, let me explain something to you about Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods never thought about not making that putt. That's how he, that was his DNA. He knew he would take whatever it took to win a golf tournament. That's what he was going to do. He was the best in the world at doing that, Gary. He had the ability to step up to the situation, whatever it takes, I'm going to do it. So I guarantee you it never once entered his mind that he would miss that putt. You know, Butch, after that, now he's won three majors in a row. Along the way, he's already completed the career Grand Slam, but he's going into an eight-month window before the next major championship. He had 12 starts between the PGA in 2000 and the Masters of 2001. He won four times, including the two starts preceding the 01 Masters, which was Bay Hill and the players. What about the players, in your mind, helped him in his next start, which was the Masters? Well, you know, not, he had never had a lot of success at the players. So this was a big thing for him, confidence-wise. He knew he was playing well. Uh, we both knew he was playing well. He was at the top of his game and had been for a while. But the key was you've you got to keep doing it in competition. And winning, you know, winning Bay Hill was more like a member guest for him. He won it every year he played in it. So that, that part wasn't a big deal. Winning the players was a huge deal against maybe the best field in golf. And, you know, leading up to the Masters, what more confidence would you want? The, the, the whole notion of a Tiger Slam, do you ever remember having a conversation, whether it was in a group or just with him, and he started to verbalize what this was, the, the idea of the four in a row? Uh, we didn't have to talk about it. We knew what it was. He knew what it was. I knew what it was. Everybody around them knew what it was. We didn't bring it up as, hey, this is a chance to win the, the slam four in a row. Uh, it was just a, a chance to go win another major championship. And that's the way he approached it in his preparation for Augusta, his, his going down there before the event, his during the week le leading up to Thursday. Uh, he approached it that way. Obviously, he knows the golf course as well as anybody. He feels extremely comfortable on that golf course even to this day, as we know, winning last year again there. So uh, he was ready to go. Uh, the anxiety uh, of, of going in, into the Masters, being a major, having a chance to win your fourth major in a row, yeah, the anxiety was there. But I don't think knowing Tiger, uh, the greatest competitor, he and Jack Nicklaus, the two greatest competitors I've ever been around in my life, I don't think it ever entered his mind he wasn't going to win it. He, he was on top of his game. He felt comfortable with every aspect of his game, and he was just going to go out there and play golf and let it happen, and obviously it did happen. You know, Butch, you, you mentioned, and you've said this over the years, uh, what a student of history is. So are you. 
being around this game your entire life, what, what were your emotions like that week at Augusta National in 2001, and particularly when it was over? Well, once again, it was a chance for a young Tiger Woods to do something no one had ever done in the history of the game, and that's win four majors in a row. Uh, I had seen him do it when he won his three amateur championships in a row, after winning three junior championships in a row. I had seen him win the U.S. Open by 15 shots, the Open by eight. I've seen him with tremendous control of his golf ball. But still, you have to go out there and do it. And he was so ready for it to happen. You know, there was a lot of criticism. A couple sports writers said, well, it's not really the Grand Slam because it, it wasn't done all in one calendar year. And so I, I really got tired of hearing that. And there was one uh, sportscaster from, uh, or a sports writer from Dallas. I'm not going to mention his name, but his, his initials were Jeff Rude. And he, he had this statement was, it's not a Grand Slam. It's just not a Grand Slam. He didn't win it in one year. It's not a Grand Slam. Well, I got tired of hearing it. So finally, I saw him in a tournament one day. I said, let, let me explain to you what it is. There has never been a human being walk on the face of the earth that has just done what this man has done. So why don't you just call it whatever the heck you want to call it? You know, Butch, along those lines, you know, we've just completed watching most of America, a lot of the world, The Last Dance. And, and Michael Jordan and Tiger, I, I think, represent a lot of things. Primarily, one of them is excellence. Michael used slights, perceived slights as fuel. Did Tiger do that? Absolutely. You know, you look at Michael Jordan in the last dance. Well, I got to tell you, I watched every episode. I'm a big Michael Jordan fan. So both on and off, of course, I know Michael and I like him a lot as a friend. I thought it was phenomenal to get on the inside and see what was going on and hear the things that were going on. And any negative thing that anyone said about Michael Jordan, he took that as personal criticism. And he decided to show that individual or that team, no, you have no idea what you're talking about. Well, you know, for years, Tiger would say, you know, I don't watch TV or I don't read anything. Hey, don't believe any of that. He knew exactly what everybody would say about him at any point in time. And you're damn right. It, it pumped him up. And when someone would say, oh, he can't do this, he can't do that. Uh, remember the match play at the La Costa. Stephen Ames figured that out real quick when he got beat nine and eight in an 18 hole match when he said he thought Tiger wasn't driving well and he was happy to play with him. So you, you don't ever want to wake up that sleeping dog, man. You better let him, let him sleep because if you wake him up, he's going to bite you. You know, Butch, it's interesting because, you know, Michael, he had amazing intellectual and spatial awareness, and, and Tiger does too, but they don't necessarily hear everything. And, and I say that because Jimmy Walker, who you work with, saw great success with him, has said that you were the great mind manipulator, had some Lombardi in you. You knew what to say to everybody. What, what did you know was, was something that always worked with respect to Tiger, whether it was before round, before a week, that you knew motivated him? Well, I think uh, not necessarily that week because you didn't have to motivate him. He was ready for that. But in Tiger's case, uh, every now and then when uh, he wasn't getting something or something wasn't working right, I'd just challenge him. I just tell him, well, you can't do that, so don't worry about it. And, you know, he'd come right back with, what do you mean I can't do that? I guarantee I can do that. I'd give you a story about that. At, at the match play at, uh, at La Costa one year, he was str having struggle fading his long irons. And there was this gate at the end of this range about 240 yards down there that it was open where the range picker came through. And I said, well, I got $100 that says you can't hit a high cut two or three iron through that door down there. 
And he says, you're on. And uh, he hit it in the first shot. First one he hit, just hit a beautiful high cut right to the thing. Now, my motivation was, let's forget about thinking about how we're doing it and just do it. So I used to love to challenge Tiger to do things. And I'm going to tell you right now, he proved me wrong every single time. You know, Butch, it's interesting. You knew he was better than everybody. Uh, he did too, and he knew that they knew. But was there somebody or a couple of players that he considered or you considered legitimate threats? Well, I think if you listen to Tiger himself, when he was at the top of his game, uh, Vijay Singh and Phil Mickelson were the two guys that had an opportunity to beat him because they were the two other best players uh, that we had on our tour at that point in time. So I would say those would be the two guys. And Tiger loved the challenge. He, he lived for the challenge. I mean, this, he has to this day whatever great athlete has. He has it right in here in his heart. You can't teach that. That's the desire to kick your butt, to cut your heart off when you go in the middle of the ring or if you walk between the ropes we can go have a beer afterwards and have dinner but when it's game time i'm ready to go man I, I'm, I'm after you you stand in the way of what i'm trying to do and he could self-motivate himself better than anybody i've ever seen and just make things happen he had this ability to just make things happen to will a ball to go in the hole to hit these miraculous shots from whether he's in the trees or a tough pin he just had the self-confidence gary that he could do it, and it never entered his mind that he couldn't do it. And you've heard me say that before, but that's a fact what Tiger was. There is nothing he didn't think he could do, and that's a huge asset. You know, Butch, th those four majors that, that he won in a row, the aggregate uh, was 65 under. And, and it's, <laughs> I've never, again, I've not only margins, <laughs> but also... Uh, that's absurd. I mean, this, this is major yes. championship golf, and he was 65 under par. Is there, is there a round that stands out among those 16 and those four events that stands out to you? Yeah, all 16 of them. <laughs> you know, <the> <laughs> I mean, let's face it, you just said it, 64 under for 16 rounds. Are you kidding me? How the hell can you do better than that? Uh, I'm not sure there's one round that stood out better than the others. There were some where he, he may have felt, if you ask him, I played better today and didn't shoot as low a score as I did yesterday because I, I felt like I played worse, but I got more out of it. It's just this, this young man was so in control of his game at that point in time. I've never seen anything like it, Gary, for all my years that have been around golf. I've never seen anything like the year 2000. Uh, I mean, nine wins three majors, a bunch of seconds and thirds. Uh, it was very impressive. What a scoring average of 67, uh, second longest hitter in the game, and he was hitting 72% of his fairways. I mean, you couldn't beat the guy. If you're going to let the, the second longest hitter in the game drive in the fairway 72% of the time, and the guy has great control of his short irons, and he's the best putter in the world, and he's got more confidence in the world, there's only one person that could beat Tiger Woods. That would be Tiger Woods if he had a bad day. He didn't have many of those. You know, Butch, you mentioned 2000, and of course, you, you had the Masters of 01 for the Tiger Slam. Your family, the, the personal relationship that your family uh, had with Ben Hogan, the 53 season and the 2000 season, is there a way to, to, to try to do a tail of the tape of those two years? I think it's always hard to go back in time and, and try and compare one great player to another. 
Uh, Hogan in 53, I mean, he didn't hardly play in eight tournaments. If you think about the number of tournaments he played in, he won just about every doggone one he played in. So, I mean, Ben Hogan is, to me, the greatest ball striker that ever lived. But uh, And Jack, Jack Nicklaus is the greatest champion in the game with 18 majors, 19 seconds, and so many how many thirds. But in my opinion, Tiger Woods is the, is the greatest player I've ever seen play golf. You know, Butch, as, as he was going through this stretch where he was rarely outside the top 10, I mean, when you're talking about these results, his worst result from winning the PGA at the end of 2000, and by the way, he followed up the next week uh, shooting 259 in Akron. So we're talking about <laughs> stuff that was just preposterous to do it week after week. And I, I want to ask you this. He acted and, and played like he was desperate, the way that Michael played every night, that 82 games, it was a referendum. How could he be that way? How could every week feel like it was food on the table and, and that he could, he could play with this sense of desperation that he, he was going to see Saturday, and that's why he made 142 straight cuts. Where did that come from? Well, that was what I was about to say. You could throw in the 142 straight cuts because I don't think anybody's going to ever do that again either. You know, it's just Tiger Woods' competitive nature. I mean, if, if you know him, he is competitive in everything he does. He could be playing a one-on-one -on -one basketball game with Michael Jordan, and he thinks he can beat him. I mean, that's just how he is. He, he doesn't accept anything, any negative thoughts in his mind. He doesn't accept there's, there's nothing I can't do when it comes to playing golf. You, you said it a minute ago, I know that they know that I know I'm the best player in the world. And he had that ability. He just... And he had no quit in him, Gary. I mean, take you back to his amateur days. We know he won three USGA juniors. Then he won three US amateurs. Do you realize that in every one of those final matches, it went to the last hole or beyond, and he won every single one of them, all six of them. Now, you could ask him how did he know he was going to win. He didn't know how he was going to win, but he knew he was going to win. And you can't teach that. And then he took that into his professional life, and as hard as he works on his game, it became the best ball striker in the game. I can remember in oh, 99 and 2000, Fred Funk was the leading driver in accuracy. And he told Fred Funk at some tournament, I'm going to knock you off this year. I'm going to be the straightest <laughs> driver in the game. That was Tiger Woods. That's how he believed. There was nothing he didn't think he could do. And I mean... That's an asset you can't teach. You're born with that. Michael Jordan just showed us that in, in these great uh, films we saw on ESPN. Well, Tiger was that in golf. He is just the man. There's no doubt about it. You know, Butch, there, there was some great footage. If you go back and look at some of the Academy series of you literally in the Golf Channel building with Tiger, um, talking about it in 2000, about the changes. And one of the changes was the physical change. And you guys were talking about how he was 158 pounds when he came on the tour of the latter stages of 1996. And he was 180 uh, at, at, in 2000. So that's physical growth. How did you see the intellectual and the emotional growth from him from the teenage years to 2000? Well, he knew he had to get stronger, number one. I, I've still got the film. August of, of uh, 93, when he first came over to Lockenbar to take his first lesson with his dad, he was a skinny little kid that, you know, and, and every time he'd come to my studio, I'd put that on. He goes, look, I don't want to see that. Look, look, how, look how flippy my hands were. I had no strength then. So he knew he had to get stronger. You heard Michael talk about that in Last Dance. 
that he when they played the Pistons and they couldn't beat him, he went in the gym and bulked himself up because he knew he had to get stronger to handle the bad boys from the Pistons. Well, Tiger was no different. He knew he had to get stronger. Now, having said that, he was obsessed with the weight room. I think, uh, unfortunately, maybe, and, and only he could tell us this, a lot of his injuries to his body may have come from his workout routines or being obsessed with getting stronger. But he felt he had to get stronger to be better than he needed to be. And as I said to you, he was never satisfied with where he was. He always felt he could get better. Butch, where he is now, they're, they're clearly, this is, you know, people evolve, and, and he clearly has too. Children change you. Life naturally is going to change you. His, the way that he embraces this younger generation, there's, clearly there's fuel there, but he, there is a sense of sharing. Uh, did you ever think that you would see that from him and still be able to not only be competitive, but to beat this generation that he essentially spawned by inspiring virtually all of them. Well, I think for me, uh, and this is just my opinion, I think Tiger Woods is the best place personally he's ever been in his life. He's got two great kids. He, he loves his children. He loves being around with them. I see them, he and Charlie on the golf course. And man, Charlie's got a beautiful swing, Tiger. Don't mess that up. And I, I see how happy he seems to be when I see him at the major <laughs> championships. <laughs> he's fun to be around. Uh, he's got his little needle back out that he didn't have for a while. You know, we all go through points in life, Gary, it doesn't matter who you are. And sometimes you got to hit rock bottom before you can come back up and figure out who you really are. And it, he's done a phenomenal job that way. He's become a mentor to all these young kids. Heck, they were when he was winning all these tournaments. He's a great dad around his children you know he told me at the open championship uh, u.s open last year at pebble beach we were talking about his surgery and he said telling me how he can't practice as much as he used to he said you know i had this surgery not for golf gary but for a quality of life he just wanted to have a quality of life where mm. he could be a good dad and hang out with his kids and all of a sudden he could play golf again he goes to east lake and wins the tour championship and i'll be doggone he comes back and wins the masters again last year and i'm not sure any of us thought he was even going to play golf again much less compete and then win major championships but i think a lot of that is he's in a good place in his life he's very happy with tiger woods these days and that's important butch last thing as we go back to the tiger slam where do you put those four major championship victories in a row in terms of all-time accomplishments in the men's game? I think it's the best. I think, you know, you would get an argument from Byron Nelson way back during the war years when he won 11 in a row and, and so many tournaments and stuff, uh, which I'm not taking anything away from that. But I think to win four majors in a row, which has never been done, you know, even the Bobby Jones, when they called it a slam, two of them are amateurs, a British amateur and the amateur. Uh, you look at Ben Hogan. The year he won three in a row, he, he went and played in the Open Championship at St. Andrews. And days you couldn't fly to Europe. You had to take a boat. So he couldn't even get back in time to win the PGA Championship. Now, would he have won it? Yeah, possibly. But who knows? Well, I thank Butch Harmon again for joining me. Uh, it's great to get his perspective on being really the central figure with respect to the professional life of Tiger Woods, being with him week in and week out as he was in pursuit of four major championships in a row. And again, Tiger Slam, 
Sunday, May 24th, 8 p.m. Eastern on Golf Channel from Golf Films, a documentary on this incredible stretch of golf from 2000 into 2001. And of course, I thank you for listening to the One Up Podcast. We'll talk to you next time.